Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hey, we're going to be in a few areas of Scripture tonight. Um, as we continue our study through Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 12, you're also going to want to turn to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, and then finally, and hopefully, we'll make it to 1 John chapter 4. Once again, let me give you those scriptures, Zechariah 12, Daniel 7, 1 John 4. A couple of announcements for you. We will finish Zechariah next week. And I will start, after that, a four-week series on glorifying God. And so we will begin that uh, the week after next. And then I want to remind you, Sunday nights at South Bay begin on February 19th. Um, Some of you were majorly concerned when I made the announcement that it was starting on February 12th because it was creating marital strife already when your wife wanted to come but you wanted to watch the Super Bowl. So in order to minister to you, I'm going to allow you to enjoy the Super Bowl with your wife, not to start out Song of Solomon with marital strife, and then we will start on February 19th. All the men say amen. Excellent. And I expect to see you here on Sunday nights now that I just did that for you. Um, We will begin Sunday nights, and the teaching series is going to be on the Song of Solomon. So we're inviting all of our couples, all of our premaritals, all those that ever hope to be married to come and be a part. Now, if you have been married and divorced, I also want to invite you to be here at that Song of Solomon uh, teaching. It will be, I pray, such a redemptive time for you. All right, Zechariah chapter 12, Daniel chapter 7, 1 John chapter 4. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dig into his word. Father, once again, we're thankful for all that you are doing in your word in our lives. And I pray now that you would continue to speak to us, watch over us, and Lord, teach us. There is a wonderful truth about our faith. Our faith is the victory. What a powerful statement. Our faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And we're going to see in the book of Zechariah, you're the overcomer. You are the victorious one. You are more than the conqueror. You are mighty in battle. And there is going to be a day when you bring this miserable world system to an end. And I pray, come, Jesus, come. And all God's people said... Amen. If you've noticed, I'm a little fired up tonight. Uh, (laughs) Yes, you are. So just buckle your seatbelts, and here we go. Zechariah chapter 9, as we be Zechariah chapter 12, let's back up just for a minute because we missed a week. Thank God for Pastor Dennis and the incredible message that he gave um, last Thursday. Uh, What a ministry to our soul. And if you don't know the man, let me tell you, he really is him. Like, what you see is what you get. I love that man. Um, Such an incredible blessing to serve alongside with him. Where is he? There he is. 
And his wonderful wife, Sue, sitting right next to him. Next time I go on a couple's retreat, I'm taking the two of you, okay? Great, okay. Not that you need it. Maybe you'll minister to us. There we go. Okay, perfect. All right. Let's do a little bit of review. Chapters 9 through 11 describe the first coming of Christ. And we went through chapters 9 through 11. The entrance of the King of Kings is given to us in Zechariah 9.9. And if you don't have this verse underlined in your Bible, you probably should because it is worthy of underline. It's repeated in two of our Gospels. Rejoice greatly, Zechariah 9.9, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just and having salvation. Lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And here we see this scripture repeated twice in two different gospels as fulfillment. Jesus rode in on the colt of a donkey. However, both gospels do not repeat verse 10, which also speaks of the coming of Christ, but not his first coming. It speaks of his second coming. And the reason why the gospel writers did not include verse 10 is because they were fully convinced and convicted is the truth of what we believe that there is a first coming and there is a second coming of Christ. Now, chapters 12 through 14 of Zechariah will give us the history of that second coming of Christ. It will speak about his return and the events preceding his return, and the events after his return. But before we go there, let's review a little bit more the first coming. You see, Israel had a history of rejecting God as their king. You remember Samuel. They even demanded of Samuel that before he died, that he would lay his hands and anoint a man to lead him as the king. To prove the point that God is the king of the kings to the Jews, Zechariah is going to give us a sampling of humanity. First a Gentile uh, uh, leader, and then a Jewish leader. And what Zechariah is doing in describing the first coming of Christ is how this Gentile leader missed the mark as the king of kings. And how this Jewish leader missed the mark of the, uh, of the king of kings. Well, you see, the first dynasty that we spoke about was the Greek dynasty, started by a man, if you remember, by the name of Alexander. He's the leopard of the book of Daniel because he conquered the world so quickly. And when he entered into Jerusalem, he did not destroy Jerusalem. In fact, the Jews were initially saved. However, it would only be four leaders down from Alexander that Antiochus Epiphanes would arise and he would purpose to destroy the Jews out of this Greek dynasty. And God would have to supernaturally intervene in order to protect the Jews. Okay, let's, let's just click the Gentiles off of our list as far as being able to lead mankind. Look at Alexander and look at his legacy and how it wrecked the Jewish nation. The second 
Zechariah goes to prove to us in the first, before the first coming of Christ is a Jewish dynasty. And we learned about it from the Hasmonean dynasty. And the Jews, they saw the Hasmonean dynasty as heroes. They rescued them from Antiochus Epiphanes, from their oppressor. Yet eventually, this dynasty would lead to Herod the Great, who had no issue slaughtering the innocence of children in the hearing that a king was born. And he would go into Bethlehem and kill every boy child under the age of two years old. Okay. See that the Gentiles don't work ruling the Jews, and we see that the Jews don't work ruling the Jews. And God is trying to prove through the prophet Isaiah that they needed a Messiah. They needed the Son of God. And once again, in the midst of this Hasmonean dynasty, God would send the true deliverer, Jesus Christ. But the Jews rejected him. And even Jesus would say in John chapter 5, and maybe you'll write it down in your notes, verse 43, I've come in my Father's name, John 5, 43, And you don't receive me. You've rejected me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. You see, in John chapter 5, Jesus is piercing into the future. And Jesus knows there's yet another leader, not Alexander, not Herod's the Great. No, 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 no. He's piercing into the future, and he knows that there's going to come another leader that they're going to embrace. We know him as the Antichrist. We know him as the beast. We know him as the counterfeit savior of the Jews. And Zechariah does not fail to include him into the list of human rulers that will fail the Jews. Zechariah includes him into the list of kings here in the first coming of Christ Because it is after the first coming of Christ that the Antichrist will arise. And he will use this leader, this world leader, who will arise to finally prove to the Jews there is only one king who should rule over you, who loves you, and can give you true peace. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Zechariah chapter 11. Would you look now as we pierce into the understanding of this beast. Verse 15. And the Lord said to me, Next, take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. So he wants him to take the staff, and he wants him to look like a shepherd, but he's a foolish shepherd. Even though he looks the part, he's not really the part. He's a counterfeit. For indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off. Note this. He won't care for him, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still, uh, still stand. But he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. Woe to the, listen to what he's called now, the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. Here, Zechariah introduces us to the Antichrist. He's known as the foolish shepherd. You see, the Jews, after the first coming of Christ, 
They rejected the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus knew by rejecting him, it would open them up to being deceived by the enemy. That's why Jesus was able to pierce into the future and say, you don't receive me, and I come in my Father's name, but there's going to be another who you are going to receive, and he's going to come in his own name. Zechariah calls him the foolish shepherd. Now, I want you to note that he takes on the implements of the shepherd, and Zechariah is going to portray this drama to the Jews. And I also want you to note that foolish shepherd does not mean dumb. Foolish does not mean dumb. Foolish, this Hebrew word, it means morally deficient, morally corrupt. Now he's going to look like the Christ. He's going to play the shepherd's part. He's going to have the shepherd's stand, the shepherd's cloak, and the shepherd's tie, and the shepherd's shoes. And he's going to look exactly like what a shepherd should look like. He's going to take on all the equipment. But he's also known as the worthless, worthless shepherd, an idle shepherd. Let me tell you why. Because though he looks like Christ, he's not. He's only concerned about establishing himself. He's only concerned about his own rule and reign. He doesn't care for the people, but he pretends that he cares really well. In fact... Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, he's going to come in as a savior to the Jews, just like the Hasmonean dynasty, just like Alexander the Great. And he's going to come in as a savior, and in Daniel 9, 27, he's going to sign a peace treaty with the nation of Israel and the world, which will initiate, like we know, the seven-year tribulation. He's going to allow them to rebuild the temple with a Santa Claus smile, ho, 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 only because he wants to sit on the throne of God and be worshipped after the three and a half years of it being built. He will break the covenant according to Daniel's uh, word, and he will sit in the temple that he allowed the Jews to build with a big old smile, and he will demand to be worshipped. He'll have no concern for the flock. The Bible says he'd rather eat them than serve them and watch over them. But this is the man that the Jews are going to give power to. But God is going to deal with this man. And the Bible lets us know in Zechariah chapter 11, Woe to this worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye, and his arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. What God is saying is, I am going to strike his right arm. I'm going to take away his strength. I am going to strike his right eye. I'm going to take away his his intelligence. And all of this foolish plotting of this false shepherd, of this worthless shepherd, will be annulled. And all of the world's system will come to an end when God decides it's time. It's time. You hear about this guy and you're saying, I mean, why would they follow such an evil man? Why would they follow such an evil man? 
Have you ever noticed that the entire world's attention is on the tiny little nation of Israel? I mean, it's no bigger than our state of New Jersey. We don't hear of the happenings in Beijing, Tokyo, or London as compared to when even a pin drops in Israel. The whole world is focusing on the Middle East, and I'm going to tell you why. From a worldly perspective, the stability of this region of the world determines our energy costs. It affects all of our lives, from our groceries to our gas. No one wants war in the Middle East because none of us want to pay $8 for a gallon of gas. None of us want to pay $15 for a dozen eggs that took 15 gallons of gas to get it from where it was with the chicken to our Ralphs. Nobody wants war in this area. But in our future, there will be. The Bible says in the book of Ezekiel that the tension will rise. It will rise to a pinnacle. And the armies of the north Russia and its Muslim country allies, according to Ezekiel chapter 38, will attack Israel because it is so prosperous and living in peace. But God will supernaturally protect them, according to Ezekiel. He will turn the tide away from them being attacked. But the Jews, they will not give credit to God once again. They will give credit to a world leader who will come on the scene and sign a peace treaty with the nation of Israel and the nations that attacked it. And they will say, oh, you're so wonderful. Thank you so much. Our children have lived in so much anxiety. Our children have lived in so much turmoil. But you have finally brought peace to the Middle East. Zechariah, he lets us know that this man has no concern for the state of Israel, only a desire to use their allegiance for his exp- the expansion of his own kingdom. He'll be hailed as a savior, but he's a seducer. He His entire reign will be deceitful. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. I want you to dig in a little bit and see who this man is. Daniel chapter 7 fully describes this man and when he comes on to the scene. Daniel chapter 7, I'm going to pick it up in verse 19. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, speaking of the Antichrist which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which environed, uh, which devoured broken pieces and trampled, um, excuse me, and trampled the uh, residue with his feet. Listen to how vicious this man is. And the ten horns, or the ten leaders, the ten world leaders, that were on its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth, which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. Stop there for just a moment. Listen to the end game of this guy. He wants to destroy because he wants to be worshipped. 
And Daniel's about to give us the complete spiritual portrait of the Antichrist. Now, I need to let you know he's known as the beast. The beast. Because that is God's perspective of the man that will devour souls away from eternal kingdom with God. He's a beast. He's a devourer. He is ripping with his teeth the heart of men's souls. But I need you to know something. This guy is not ugly. He's not wearing red pajamas and holding a pitchfork. His hair is not freaky. And he looks the part, man. He's a deceiver. In fact, the Bible says he's intelligent. Look at verse 20. And the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth. So he's intelligent, and he can speak well, and he speaks pompous words. He's prideful, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. He's intelligent. He's a great speaker, and he's good-looking. The young ladies are going to look at him and go, he's so cute. Vote for him. I mean, he's just, he speaks so well. It's amazing to me in our country who we vote for. It's amazing to me how a candidate is picked. And it's amazing to me that only 70 years ago, unless you fought in a war and you served in our military, you could not be a president of the United States of America. Church, this guy is the real deal. Verse 21, take a look. I was watching and the same horn was making war. By the way, I was not referring to President Biden. So don't email me. He is far from good looking. I'll probably get an email for that. But I love you. I love all of you and I missed you. I was watching. And the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in the favor of the saints of the Most High and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. You see, though he comes with, I want peace, his goal is world domination. But Jesus will return. And Zechariah chapter 12 through 14 will discuss how our faith is the victory. And Jesus will return on the favor of the saints. And he will destroy the world system once and for all. Take a look at verse uh, 23. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. You see, verse 23 reveals his real intent. I want to destroy you. Does that not sound like Satan? Does he not present drugs as something that can give you relief for a moment, but the drug is only there to destroy you? Does he not present that girl at the bar as the most beautiful thing that could possibly ever be, but you wake up with lipstick on the mirror that says, welcome to the world of HIV? It happened to a friend of mine. Church, he's a deceiver. 
It's who he is. It's what he does. Verse 24. I told you I was worked up. Put your seatbelts on. (laughs) Verse 24. Then the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from the kingdom and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. The world leaders of the time will give him political power because he's a political genius. He will know how to work the system, and he will work his way to the top. Verse 25, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, shall intend to change times and laws. Then the saints shall be given into the land for a time and a times and a half a time. During the first three and a half years, he's going to prove his intent. He's going to change everything. He's going to change dates and times. And Well, uh, the people in Iran have this date, and the people in uh, uh, Iraq have this date, and the people in China have this date. Let's just make it one world system, and we can all celebrate this day. He's going to do it. He's a military, political, religious, civil genius. He's the complete counterfeit to Jesus. I need to let you know something. A counterfeit is something that takes a microscope to tell the difference. It looks exactly the part. That's why Zechariah had the shepherd uniform on. It looks exactly the part. And I'm grateful that we as Christians and believers have the microscope of the word to view the devil for who he is, so that we're not deceived. And if you are so happening to listen to this message and we've all been raptured out, go to Daniel chapter 7 and you will see who the Antichrist is. That was a note for our future. Or for their future, let me say. Now, well, this man has not risen yet in the world. I don't, I, 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 I don't know if he's risen. Excuse me, I don't know if he's born. But he hasn't risen to power yet. John tells us that we are living in the age of the spirit of the Antichrist. That exists in the world today. The spirit of the Antichrist is constantly preparing, constantly lying, constantly deceiving to prepare the world to aimlessly follow this fool. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we'll pick it up in verse 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming, and is now, maybe you'll underline this, already in the world. You're of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Someone shout, Amen. Amen. Verse 5. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We're of God. He who knows God hears us. 
He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, when you're reading 1 John chapter 4, this particular, don't let it sound like Yoda to you. Let me back up and communicate what John is trying to get across. You see, the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. Though it appears to be peaceful, it seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. Listen to these statements and listen to them carefully. It's as innocent as allowing our children and our grandchildren to watch Disney movies that promote a view that has led to transgender confusion where the truth lies in that God created them male and female. Transgenderism declares that God made a mistake, and that's impossible for an omniscient God. Listen. It's as entertaining as video games that promote violence, which has devastated our elementary, middle, and high schools with so much death and destruction of school shootings because it's just an entertaining video game. Listen to this. It's as peaceful as the music we listen to pumping into our brains a lifestyle that corrupts the morals of entire generation because she's popular and sounds good. It's as funny. It's as funny as the TV shows we watch, which uses comedy to sensitize our generation to alternative lifestyles and cancel culture, demoralizing biblical values and tenets of our faith. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. He's in the world today. And according to, the gospel, according to the letter of 1 John, our only defense to overcome is to hear the words of the word as protection from the great deception and live our life by faith, not by feelings. That's what John is trying to get across. He's saying, listen, they're of the world. They're going to follow the world. But you're of God. You're going to hear what God has to say and be able to know the difference between truth and a lie. And Zechariah, Zechariah is about to tell us a time whereby God is going to stand up. He's going to stand up in heaven. And whenever my dad stood up, my sister and I knew it was time to shut up. And the Bible says, according to Zechariah, that he stands up and there is silence in heaven for a half an hour. Because God is ready to deal with the world system and this world leader. And Zechariah chapters 12 through 14 is going to describe to us exactly what he's going to do. Turn with me to now to Zechariah chapter 12. The burden, of the, war, the burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. In other words, this is heavy on my heart. Thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. God making a declaration, I'm in control. I made you. It's like your mother saying, I brought you in, I can take you out. That's exact. Let me just do a Chet translation of what verse 1 is communicating. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. He's speaking about now After the rise of the Antichrist, 
the end of the seven-year tribulation. When they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces. Though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. In that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its riders with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength and the Lord of hosts their God. In that day, I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in the woodpile and like a fiery torch in the sheaves. They shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left. But Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, Jerusalem. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. In other words, he's going to save the people outside of Judah before the people in Jerusalem to keep the unity of the entire nation. In that day, the Lord will defend the the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God, or the Spirit of God is in them, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that have come against Jerusalem. Let me tell you something. God stood up. He is going to bring an end to the world system, and he's going to bring an end to the world leader. And in this end of the seven-year tribulation, God is going to supernaturally empower the nation of Israel to fight against the entire world. Ezekiel chapter 38 says that the world is fed up with Israel at the end of seven years. There is peace. There is prosperity. It's happening in Israel, but the rest of the world is suffering. This financial proliferation in Israel caused nothing but worldwide jealousy. God will provoke the world to attack the nation of Israel by drying up the river Euphrates, almost making it like a highway so that they can walk right into Jerusalem. Now, Zechariah chapter 14 is going to give us greater detail as to this horrific invasion It's going to seem for the Jews that all hope is going to be lost, but God is going to intervene. He causes panic amongst the soldiers and the horses. He provides a plague where people go blind. He gives power to the feeble, so much power, that they've got the power of the Spirit of God like an angel. Now, can I remind you? One angel. One One angel, say it with me, one. One One angel destroyed 185,000 Assyrians overnight. Imagine having the power of an angel as a human. Two angels destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in a moment. And God is going to give the strength of an angel to even the most feeblest of Jews, and they supernaturally are going to defeat the entire world. Amen. Amen. Zechariah chapter 12, this act of kindness, 
This act of God's grace, the Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not the law of God that leads us to repentance. The law of God reminds us that we're sinners. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. This kindness of God's deliverance, take a look at the fruit of the Jews in verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced, speaking now about Jesus who was crucified on the cross. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there shall be a great mourning, or repentance, in Jerusalem, like the mourning at Hadad Ramam in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn, every family by itself. In other words, Everyone has a responsibility, a personal responsibility to repent. The Bible says, the family of the house of David by itself, their wives by themselves. The family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves. The family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves. The family of Shammai by itself and their wives by themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. You see, when Jesus comes on the scene at the second coming and he delivers the nation, the nation will look at Jesus and realize, you are our deliverer, not Alexander. You are our deliverer, not the Hasmonean dynasty. You are our deliverer, not the Antichrist. Can you imagine the repentance? Can you imagine how they will mourn when they look on the one and realized we shouted, crucify him. When you came in your first coming, we rejected you. We denied you. Imagine the morning as people go into their homes and fall on their knees and realize they are sinners in need of the saving grace of Jesus. And it was Jesus that came and delivered the Jews who crucified him. It was his kindness that led them to see. We pierced you. And now... We repent. God is going to pour out his grace and his forgiveness. Look at chapter 13. In that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanliness. God is going to forgive them. Do you remember what God said through the prophet Isaiah? In chapter 1, he said, Though your sins are scarlet, repent. I'll make them as white as snow. And God washes their dirty garments, and he makes them clean. It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land. They shall no longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to depart from the land. It shall come to pass that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, You shall not live. That's a little discipline. Because you've spoken lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who begot him shall thrust him through when he prophesies. What Zechariah is getting across is what we've discussed in regards to the millennial kingdom. Jesus, at his second coming, is going to separate the sheep from the goats. 
Those that have refused Jesus, Gentile and Jew, are called goats. Those that have accepted Jesus as their Savior and Lord are called sheep. And what God is expressing through Zechariah is there's going to be a separation. And the goats will go and wait for the second death. But the sheep will get to walk into the great and glorious millennial kingdom where Jesus Christ will rule and reign. Look at verse 4. And it shall be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. They will not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceive. But he will say, I am no prophet. I'm a farmer. For a man taught me to keep cattle from a youth. And no one will say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? And he'll answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Now I've heard many pastors refer to this as a Jesus reference. It's not a Jesus reference. You're going to have prophets, Jewish prophets, Jewish high priests who will come to Christ. They have rejected Christ and taught not to follow Christ for seven years in the tribulation. And then they see Jesus and repent. And in the millennial kingdom, they decide, I've given up the whole prophecy thing. I've given up the whole priest thing. I'm just a farmer. I'm humbling myself and realizing I led people astray. And I, these wounds, these are from the house of my friends. They were upset with me. I led them astray. Almost as if to say, I deserve them because of how I led people away from the one who I pierced. See, now we're going to go into a little commercial break. God has poured out his spirit of grace and forgiveness. But what he does now is he takes us back to the beginning. That's why we're going to call it a commercial break. To catch us up with God's perspective of how involved he is, God's activity in the second coming of Christ. It begins with a poem. Awake, O sword against my shepherd. Against the man who is my companion, or companion, or this word means who is my another. He's just like me. Says the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones, or this word meaning I will bring Israel low, the little ones. I will bring them low. Let's back up for just a minute as we take a look at God's activity on the earth between the first and the second coming. Make no doubt about it. God led Jesus to the cross. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. And in the midst of the chaos of Jerusalem during that cross, God was in control. And you can trust in the chaos of your life that God has not left his throne. He is still in control. So in control that he knew that the disciples would scatter. Jesus would tell them in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 31, he quotes this scripture and says, you will scatter because I will be put on the cross. Jesus fulfills this. He himself communicated. Jesus 
He would say that you're going to scatter. And everyone knows what happens. Strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. But take a look at the next events. Then I, God, will turn my hand against the little ones. I've already described for you that the little ones mean brought low, and he truly brought Israel low after the first coming of Christ. You see, Jesus even knew that the Romans would come in 70 AD and destroy Israel. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, How I long to gather you, but now your house will be left to you desolate. Jesus knows the future. In verse 8, And it shall come to pass in the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die. Now remember, the prophets only see mountain peaks. We have been catapulted all the way to the last battle of the Jews in the seven-year tribulation. And I want you to see how many Jews die. Two-thirds, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. In other words, Zechariah is describing what we've already learned in chapter 12, that they're going to look on the one that they pierced, and they're going to repent. See, God knows who are his. He would not be omniscient if he didn't know who was to be saved. He's bringing them through the fire. They only survive because of him. They survived this incredible invasion. Now, when we get to chapter 14, you're going to read what kind of invasion is, and it's going to make sense that two-thirds of the Jews in Jerusalem are going to die. Let's move on and see this battle. Verse four, chapter 14, verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. Now he's speaking to the one-third that survives. Now take a look at, as he speaks about this battle. For I will gather all the nations. He's doing a review. He's catching us up from God's perspective. I will gather all the nations. This is God's activity to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken. The houses rifled. The women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Do you remember when I said it's going to appear as if all hope is lost? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you feel like it's over? I'm done. And I want you to hold on to that thought. Because where there is a verse 2 in the Bible... There's a verse 3. Take a look. Then the Lord will go forth in the midst where it seems absolutely hopeless, I add, and fight against those nations. And as he fights in the day of battle and in the day his feet will stand in the Mount of Olives. We're speaking about his second coming which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall be moved toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah." In the midst of absolute hopelessness, Jesus always shows up. 
love never fails. And he loves you. He loves you. And at the exact hour of God's choosing, Christ returned and he delivers the Jews. Zechariah is letting us know Alexander's not the deliverer. The Hasmonean dynasty is not the deliverer. Who do you think will deliver you outside of Jesus the Christ? Do you run to your friends in crisis? Do you run to a psychiatrist in crisis? Do you run to Jesus when it seems that all hopes it lost? Trust me, he will stand on your mountain and divide it so that you can walk right through and be delivered. It's who our Jesus is. Now, this is the fun part. Take a look, if you would, in verse 6. Oh, sorry, verse 5. And we're going to continue. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. Guess who that is? I hope it's us. It's everyone who believes. And we come back with Jesus and we have a stadium view of watching Jesus deliver his people and defeat the entire world. And the Bible says, our faith is the victory that overcomes And he speaks a word, and all of a sudden, according to the book of Revelation, everyone dies that came to fight, and the blood is to the horse's bridle in the Valley of Megiddo. Now, have you ever seen the Valley of Megiddo? It is miles long. This is a lot of people and a lot of blood. Verse 6, and shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish as we enter now into the millennial kingdom. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at the evening time, it shall happen that it will be light. In other words, the Bible lets us know in Revelation that God is our light. There's no need for a sun in the millennial kingdom. And in that day, it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one, and his name is one. God is going to establish the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. He is going to be victor over the world, its leader, and its system. And he's asking you to not only believe that, but to live that today. He has challenged us with our faith is the victory, not that struggles with the world, that overcomes the world. We've got to be careful who we give authority to. If you give authority to your music, it will have power over you. If you give authority to your favorite TV show, it will have power over you. If you give authority to things of this world that is preaching a doctrine, it will have power over you. Now, what I love about the millennial kingdom is that God changes the topography. Look at verse 10. All the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. In other words, God's going to change the topography. 
He's going to flatten everything around Jerusalem and raise Jerusalem up so as you are coming, you will see the glory of Jesus and worship him in song as you approach Jerusalem. The people shall dwell in it and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus said, how I long to gather you. I'm the one that can give you safety. I'm the one that can give you peace. But you rejected me. And now Zechariah lets us know that they've received him. They found their peace. And this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Now, guys, listen to this. I want you to see what happens to these people. God catches us up with what he does when Jesus comes at his second coming. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Did any of you see Raiders of the Lost Ark? You remember the scene when the ark opened up? Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. Now, some theologians believe that this is a nuclear explosion. I believe this nuclear explosion's name is Jesus. It shall come to pass, and and Jesus obviously agrees with a phone call. (laughs) It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. So also shall be the plague on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, the cattle that will be in those camps. So shall this plague be. Jerusalem, Jews, everything you wanted was in me. Prosperity, peace, and safety. All right. Do you know that? What does God have to do to prove to you that everything you need is found in Him? So when you don't feel loved by your husband, He loves you. When you don't feel loved by your wife, he loves you. When you've lost your job, he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I love you more than the lilies of the field or the sparrows of the air. Who will you run to when faced with your hopeless situation? Let's pray. Our Father, when you describe humanity, the very fact that you made us from dirt, you said from dust we came and from dust we'll return. And like Zach prayed earlier, we tend to go out in the world and get our feet dirty. 
We tend to run to the world thinking they have an answer. It's music, it's entertainment. It's no different than Nebuchadnezzar. He used music and entertainment and food to deceive the Jews. But Daniel stood alone with three Hebrew boys. They purposed in their heart not to defile themselves with the world system. So tonight, forgive us, O God, and cleanse us. We want to be holy before you. Would you give us the grace by the microscope of the word to be able to see the truth of the deception and the truth of the lies that exist in the world system and its leaders. And I pray we would run to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.